0: Hello, White Sox fans. How you guys doing tonight? Welcome to another edition of White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge. I am here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How you doing, Danny? How's that knee?
1: Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, a little slow and hobbled at the moment. The, uh, the knee is sore and stiff, but uh, you know, if you haven't been paying attention to any of my socials, I am on the mend, and uh, you know, it's going to take some time. But uh, glad to have uh, had it done.
0: Yeah, I got like. Probably about uh, two or three surgeries I should probably end up doing with uh, shoulder and uh, stuff like that, but I'm a chicken, and uh, it doesn't really need to be done, and I know that if I do it, uh, I'm going to be laid up for a while, and uh, it's not something I'm really looking forward to, so I'm kind of trying to avoid it. We'll see. Um So, uh, I know that you were in and out today, uh, due to, uh, legal narcotics or, uh, Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, so today the White Sox were a winner against the Dodgers in the Battle of Camelback Ranch and, uh, won eight to six. And, um, I mean, it's spring training, so, you know, how much can be taken from it? Who knows? Uh. Not really uh, a whole lot there to uh, grab a hold of other than uh, Cespedes looked pretty good out in the field and had a single and a stolen base. And uh, Mike Rodolfo continues his assault upon the baseball. Hey, Doll Steak, how you doing? I like those meat hearts. Those things are fantastic. <laughs> um, good to see you on. I haven't seen you streaming in a while, so it's good to see you're, uh, you're out there kicking it. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, like most of the starters, not really a whole lot of uh whole lot of movement out there. Um 0, uh, let's see, uh, 0 for, for uh I guess, you know, O for three from Sheets if you consider him a starter. Um had a one for three from Tim Anderson and a one for three from Mankata today. Um I don't know if you I mean there was no radio broadcast or uh actually yeah, there was no radio broadcast and no uh, no MLB.TV broadcast for the Indians game the other day, but they had all the starters in uh, for that game, and oh, uh, that was ugly, man. Yeah. They had, uh, I, I, I looked at the score in the second inning, and they were already down, and then I looked in the fifth inning, and they were down by a lot. And yeah, they had like had two
1: total hits by the two beginning. hits at
0: that point. Yeah, it was, it was,
1: and you're pretty close to your opening ugly. day, uh, roster when that lineup it was uh, a rough one.
0: Yeah. Again, you know, as we say, it's, uh, it's spring training, it's early. So, uh, you know, I guess that's uh something to hang your hat on. Um, but, uh, yeah, not, not so good. Um, and next day they beat the, the Rockies had an okay, okay. Offensive day. Nothing, uh, nothing crazy. Um one thing's been nice is the Micah Adolfo thing. Uh one for one today with a three home three run home run and a sacrifice fly. Um Micah's now hitting 556 with a uh 1.77 or 1.722 OPS. That's uh Not bad. F- Yeah, that's pretty decent. Uh I'll okay. take that. Um Cespedus has got a uh, 1400 OPS, and uh, your guy, Zach Remlard, with the uh, 1500 OPS. So.
1: Old Zachy Flats. Yeah, and you trying know to I, make, Trying to make a name for a uh, bench player.
0: Yeah, and uh, Jake Berger, despite having a uh, odd oddly uh, shaped tan on his dome, uh, he's got a uh, 1069 OPS. So. Uh, you know, some of these younger guys that look like they're they're taking uh, they're taking their opportunities as they come, and they are doing some things. Um, it's nice to see.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, like you said, it's it's spring training. Obviously, things are a little weird. You know, pitchers might be working on a certain pitch or approach throughout games, regardless of outcome. You know, uh, or expected outcome, I should say uh hitters are you know this time of spring or i shouldn't say this time in spring but this amount of time into spring normally uh batters are going to be ahead of pitchers and i suspect that's going to be the case probably you know into the first couple of weeks of the season because of the abbreviated spring training that we're uh seeing these guys go through this year but you know you expect the bats to be around sooner uh in most cases it's been that way aside from that uh the you know the game against the guardians the other day that you were talking about the is being the outlier but uh you know uh seeing some good things especially from some of the uh the younger prospects looking to uh make their way and crack the uh mlb lineup so you know uh i'm encouraged but uh i still have questions about uh roster construction as we go into uh, opening day and i'm sure we'll get into that quite a bit tonight but uh yeah, it's just good to see baseball back and actually watch some games on TV. So, you know, I'm not going to turn this into a, a bitch fest. Uh, I'm happy to just see some baseball.
0: Yeah, I mean, at this point, is there really a reason to do that? Uh, I mean, other than uh, roster construction, but, I mean, as far as performance goes, it's still the first week of uh, spring training for the most part. So, I mean, what do you, like, if, if you're – Screaming your head off at this point. Uh, I got nothing for you, right? Um, saw some decent uh pitching performances today. Tanner Banks looked uh pretty stinking nice. Uh, two innings and uh five K's, and uh, one of you know, his one, I mean, realistically, he should have struck out the side twice in a row, and uh, apparently the umpire just decided to take a couple of pitches off and didn't call pitches that were right there. Um, and so you bring that up
1: because, uh, you know, all the talk about the quote unquote robot umpire, which, you know, we all know it's not an actual, uh, you know, robot in the sense of, you know, what you think of when you see a robot, but this mechanical strike zone that, uh, they're talking about implementing here, uh, you know, uh, and again, it's 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 spring training for these umpires, too. You know, these guys have been off all winter, or, you know, if they have been calling games, you know, if any of them have been out there calling games, it hasn't been uh, at this level. And, uh, you, you know, there's, uh, they're showing the reasons why <laughs> this whole uh, mechanical strike zone has uh, been tossed about so much, you know, early on here. Uh, hopefully they clean it up as uh, spring goes on, but you know, <laughs> it, it, I could say they go, hopefully they clean it up. But if the, the last, you know, four five, eight seasons of baseball, uh, tell us anything and hit that history repeats itself. Uh, you know, nothing's going to change. These guys are just going to continue to get, uh, worse and worse. It seems.
0: Yeah. I forget exactly what the, what the stat was that codify tweeted out, but it was something along the lines of, uh, <laughs> umpires over the age of 50 were 50% more likely to miss a call like a a ball strike call than uh their younger counterparts and that is absurd uh that i mean if you i mean if if codify seeing the raw data i don't see how major league baseball isn't seeing this this same data i mean do you think i mean can you honestly think that Major League Baseball does not have the same information, or does not use the same information that umpire sport, uh, you know, umpire scorecards is using.
1: Uh, I can imagine that uh, they probably have that same information and more, and, and none of it is uh, going to point to anything good.
0: <laughs> I yeah, I just I don't I don't get it. You know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, the The fact that uh, I mean. The thing that the players should do is they should take a cue from the umpires union because those guys seem to wield so much power.
1: I was going to say the same thing. You took the words right out of my mouth.
0: Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Like if, if Joe West is (laughs) the head honcho of the, uh, umpires union, and every, you know, I mean, granted, and he's, he wasn't even terrible, to, to be fair. I mean, he's, he's a jackass. Yes. That's, yeah. That's 100%. Sure. Yeah. Loves, loves making it the Joe West show every single game, but he's not awful as far as, you know, umpires go. You no, know,
1: he's, he's not CB Buckner or, uh, Angel, you know, Angel Hernandez. Hernandez. Yeah. You know, those guys had legitimate reasons to have gripes against them on the regular. Uh, but yeah, you know, I have to agree with you. Like these guys, their union, the umpires union, the players need to employ their negotiators because these guys seem to be untouchable. I mean, I don't know anybody that can go out there and not do their job as or do their job as badly, as poorly as these umpires do on a regular basis and have zero repercussion.
0: Yeah, and a lot of these zero. guys are still
1: getting playoff and you know postseason uh, spots. I mean, come on, man.
0: <laughs> yeah, I do not get it, um, nor will I probably ever. And from the looks of it, I don't know that anything's ever actually going to uh, be done about it. I mean, they've been doing uh, manager surveys after games forever, and the only time I think. Probably the only time we've seen anything happen i th- there was like uh what like a a two game suspension for Joe West at one point, something like that I mean it was it was just it was like the the silliest thing. it was like a paid uh, golf outing for him more or less right you know <laughs> and uh yeah, I think it was for putting hands on somebody and I think uh might even was it Tim Anderson? It might have been timid. I can't it remember exactly been. what it was, but there was a, uh, yeah, it, it's just, uh, there's not a whole lot of accountability there, and it's pretty sad. Uh, with how, you know, with how much they police the players in relation to, you know, when, they, when they're relating to the umpires, the fact that the umpires can get away with more or less anything that they want to do, and there's literally zero repercussions, I, I just, I don't get it. But uh you know whatever, um, yeah, so anyway, uh, if he, I, I'll tell you this if the umpire from today's game at Camelback had called the same strike zone in the first and second inning that he called in the uh, bottom of the uh, bottom of the eighth and the top of the ninth, uh, I think Tanner banks probably would have thrown maybe 30 pitches and pitched like four innings. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, there were that many calls that were like millimeters off the black that he didn't call. And, uh, he still managed to strike out five, uh, you know, out of seven batters that he saw. So real nice to, uh, see a, uh, a left-handed starter. Granted, he's not one of the younger ones, you know, he's uh 30, I believe. And, um, been in the system for ever. It feels like. And, uh, nice to see him get a little bit of run out there and, uh, you know, I don't know if it's going to amount to anything, who knows, but, um, you know, they say that they're going to need pitchers this year. So (laughs) if he can continue to go out there like that and continue to live in the strike zone the entire game, I don't see any reason why he couldn't continue to do that. Um, now, you know, will the hitters catch up to him? Who knows? Who knows? You know, I mean, more than likely, probably. I mean, he's a lifelong, you know, minor league guy, at you know, for seven years or whatever it is. So I wouldn't be surprised if they caught up to him. However, you know, uh, as mentioned in uh, one of our tweets today uh, at Daily White Sox on Twitter, um, Caleb Freeman was uh, chucking his curveballs today. And uh, in Arizona, the ex, you know, the the extra elevation does tend to, uh, flatten out breaking balls a little bit. And if, you know, Caleb Freeman and Tanner banks are throwing nice moving breaking balls at this point, uh, in Arizona, hopefully that, that, you know, hopefully that transitions into a recurring theme throughout this season. Uh, because you know, that, uh, Mr. Rick Hahn is certainly looking for more relievers.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh well, you know, it, it I have to laugh at that because, you know, obviously that has been the uh, the talk of the Sox offseason so far this year. Uh unless you want to throw, you know, Josh Harrison out there. But you know, the reality is is uh over forty million, you know, creeping up on fifty million dollars tied up in in the, the back end of our bullpen, uh, between you know four pitchers or you know, uh, it, it's give or it's, take, uh, yeah, right. So I mean, yeah, it, I get the the joke, but you know, there's the other part of that too. Is and I, I think it was in probably the third or fourth inning of today's game, maybe second, third, I don't know, whatever. Uh, Steve Stone seemed to. Think that uh, you know, it, even though it hadn't been announced yet, that may, there might be some roster expansion early in the season because of the abbreviated spring training here. Yeah, uh, to give teams the availability to you know maybe stash another arm or two. Uh, if that's the case, you know some of these guys that have been around hanging out in lower levels for a little bit, especially in the Sox system, the way they they kind of seem to pump out relievers, uh, you know, you might see one or two of these guys get a shot for. It maybe just a little bit, even, you know, Tanner banks might get a week or two a cup of coffee up there before they decide they want to, you know, send him down and bring up the next guy available. But, uh, you know, it's nice to see that, uh, he had himself a decent outing, you know, it's always going to be fun for a guy like that who has been around as long as he has. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> that bullpen though, huh?
0: Yeah, uh, so for for a total between Kimbrel, Hendricks, Graveman, Kelly, uh, and Bummer, it's uh, forty eight million dollars for right. the bullpen. Uh, just just for those guys, and I mean we're not counting any of the other guys. Um, yeah, that's a that's a a sizable investment in the bullpen, and you know, I mean, hey. I mean, it is 100% possible that it could be the greatest bullpen to ever be assembled. Um, uh, I know that the, uh, what is it, the 2015 Royals had uh, quite the bullpen as well when they won the World Series a few years back. <laughs> um, but if you're going simply on reputation and stats, uh Career, you know, career well, actually I guess not career, but uh, you know, what Liam Hendricks has done in the last few years, what Craig Kimbrell is known to have done over his entire career, plus Graveman and Kelly as well, uh, and Bummer that's a really, really solid bullpen. And
1: um Yeah, you know, any one of those guys can step into a setup or uh closer role. So great good to have that kind of flexibility. Yep. For Tony Larusa, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, there was a. I mean, you know, who knows whether they're going to get rid of uh, Craig Crimble or not? Uh, there was that an article that popped up. Uh, is it yesterday uh, about the Braves and the White Sox talking about trading for uh, you know trading C- Craig Crimble over to the Braves, and uh, the Braves ultimately ended up signing uh, Kenley Jansen for. 16 million dollars which is exactly what krimble is getting this year and uh a lot of people you know not a lot of people but i mean i've seen the responses on twitter and they're like well you know 16 million it's the same same as kimberl yes that's true however they didn't have to give up anything it's just money, which is one of those things that we've been complaining about uh, on this stream in particular is that this whole mindset that we hear from the front office is, you know, the, you know it's free agency isn't the only avenue to getting players here, uh, you know, meaning that, hey, you know, we can get guys through trades as well, uh, but I don't know about you but my personal feeling is is that if you have 50 million dollars underneath the luxury threshold now with the new CBA there's not much reason to be giving up i mean the the players that these teams are going to want in a trade for uh say a manaya or a uh Chris, uh, not Chris Bassett. Uh, who's the other guy? Uh,
1: Frankie Montas. Frankie
0: Montas. Um, the the kind of players that the that the A's are going to want for a pitcher like that, it is going to be, you know, at least one or two of these upper echelon guys. And for the most part, from what I've heard about what the A's want, is that they want younger guys to develop. They don't want close to major league ready guys. So that takes, uh, you know, sheets and burger and guys of, you know, their, their, you know, situation out of the mix. So they're going to be looking for a Brian Ramos. They're going to be looking for a Jose Rodriguez. They're going to be looking for uh, younger guys that when they have them, and they make it they finally make it up to the major league club, you're gonna be looking at Juan Mania. Juan Mania is with the twins, man.
1: He, uh, he, yeah, Juan Sean Manaya. Yeah, Sean
0: Manaya, uh Manaya, whatever you want to say it, but uh Juan Mania just re-upped with the twins last week. Um yeah, exactly. Norhe Vera. I mean, there's gonna there there are going to be requests in these trades for the top tier guys and when you have this kind of room at the top of your payroll with the kind of contracts expiring at the end of the year like the White Sox do uh Abreu Kimbrel, Keuchel I mean right that right there is you know next year you're looking at uh you know I know that there is a uh Obviously a groundswell of support for Lucas Giolito getting an extension. And uh, I know that people are probably going to start saying the same thing about Cease if he goes out and has a repeat of last year uh, with incremental uh, increase in uh, stats, if you will, you know. Um, that people are going to talk about him in the same way that they talk about Giolito, where they want them to get on in an early extension. But with Abreu coming off the books, with Keiko coming off the books, with Kimbrel coming off the books, you know, that's close to I think it's like fifty four million dollars or something like that or fifty some somewhere in that area. Um, yeah,
1: it, I think I thought it was closer to sixty, but either way, I mean it's a good chunk of change
0: yeah plus you uh, know you, you do you have your... the
1: 47 million that you're already this year and then next year it goes up to 234 i believe uh, it's either 236 or 34 it's one or the other i don't you know, maybe this is one of the two million years and then there, there's a couple of them out there that are like four million dollar jumps yeah in this cba either way uh there's going to be some growth in the cba over the next few years um Yeah. Uh, you've already 47 million under at the moment and you've got at least another 50 coming off next year. Uh, I would say you have some wiggle room.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you're you're going to have incremental changes with the, with the payroll that's there with the extended guys, you know, a couple of them are taking several million dollar bumps next year. So there's going to be a little bit of a change. So I'd say if, if it's like what, fifty-four million dollars or whatever that's coming off the payroll for next year with these three guys. I will be gobsmacked if the White Sox do not resign Jose Abreu. Now I know that his, he said that after the season he's <laughs> going to re-evaluate with his family and decide what, what he wants to do because he already played 10 years in Cuba and now this is season nine with the White Sox. So it's 19 years in professional baseball. So, I understand that he's saying that now um, if they- yeah, but you get
1: the feeling that if this guy's got anything left in the tank, he's going to want to play ball, you know, whether it maybe be at a, a, a less of a capacity than he has been over the last, you know, eight or nine years. Uh, who knows? But you got to think that if there's anything left in the tank, I mean, dude's just a gamer. Hard to hard to tell that guy to go sit down somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, if, if he has a
0: productive year, I mean, he's had, what, six, uh, what is it, six uh, 3,100 years with the White Sox. Uh, right. y- if, if he puts up close to that even, is that going to be something that you're willing to uh, let go if your uh, two guys that you're, Basically, banking on with Vaughn and Sheets, if they don't take a step to be major league regulars, if they still look like role players at the end, are you are you really gonna tr- you know try and let him walk? You're no, you're gonna try and get him to come back.
1: Right, right, absolutely.
0: So, I mean, with the with that, you know, with the additional money to the guys that are uh, that were given extensions and probably was signing a Brayu. okay. So fine. You've only got $25 million coming off the books next year. So that's 25 million plus the almost 50 that they have, uh, under the, under the tax. Now, uh, you're looking at $75 million under the cap again. And, uh, you're looking like you're more around the $160 million range. Uh, instead of the uh, 184 roughly that they're at right now um which now that I bring up the uh the total payroll I also will thank the Phillies and uh thank uh who's the uh the Braves for making uh, a couple of nice signings for uh for some cash so I don't have to hear uh well the White Sox are top 5 in payroll you know Uh, Oh, no,
1: I I still see it every day. Oh, no, you do, because
0: people don't think about it.
1: Well, people haven't also, you know, Track has not updated their website uh, with some of the new signings. Uh, I have told multiple people multiple times that the White Sox are not fifth in payroll. Uh, They are now, I believe, seventh, which, you know, fine. Still, it's still up there. It's still Still not bad. You know, yeah, it's it's still up there. But, uh, you know. The whole point is there was wiggle room to get something done. Uh, you know, and don't get me wrong. We we talked about this at, at the open of the show about how some of these younger guys are showing out so far in spring training. But, you know, again, it's spring training. I, you know, you bring up Jose Abreu's contract coming up. Uh, the year after next, we've got, uh, what is it, Timmy and Yohan? No, so he's, two, uh, he's got a couple oh no. of years.
0: Uh, he's uh, Anderson 26, I
1: think. Someone else. Uh, Grandal. Grandal. There it is. Yeah. The, you got two guys there that are going to be coming off, uh, or you're going to need to resign one or the other. I don't know if they'll be wanting to do, you know, sign all these guys and bring them back at that point. But, you know, there are going to be more holes in the game coming up as today. well. Right. So. Uh, so you 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 there's holes to fill coming up here in the next couple of years that you know you necessarily didn't need more holes to be looking at to fill next year. So that's one of those things where I was I really wanted them to get a right feeler solidified now because that's yep. one less thing you've got to worry about in these years coming up when all these other contracts come up. Yeah, because you know, now you're trying to fill the holes of Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, Yasmani Grandal. The year after that is Mancada, and you know so on and so forth. Aloy. Uh, I think is the same year as Mancada uh, you know yep. you're gonna have these you're gonna have these uh, these holes to fill over the next two to three years. It would have been nice to have one less hole to worry about uh, and you know the other thing too is if you're just signing a right fielder a proven right fielder now those guys that you got in your system that you're thinking maybe you know one of the four or five guys can be the man. Maybe you, you you keep the best one or two of those guys, but you dangle the rest for the starting pitcher that we've been looking for. That we are, you know, a lot of people would say sorely missing with the exit of Carlos Rodan this offseason. So uh, uh,
0: Aloy is 26 and uh, Mancada is 25. Right. So, uh, you know, staggered by a couple of years. And if I remember correctly, I think Robert is 27, if I remember yeah his last uh his last option uh his last club option is 2027 for 20 million okay. so uh, which will be uh, if I remember correctly uh that will be the largest contract to a white sox player ever but let's hope by the time 2027 rolls around that that is not the case um, and I kind of don't think it will be if they extend uh Giolito if Giolito extends there's no chance he's going to be under 20.
1: Yeah, What's well, up, there's a question there's a question about that. John Rudles. Uh yeah, there's there, I mean so I know the all of White Sox fandom is like we got to get this deal done. Uh the White Sox front office has been open about discussing the fact that they would like to get it done. Uh there was talk about it last year and how they kind of shelved it and you know but Lucas is well, he's fine he knows that we're in his corner and we're on his side and you know we want him to be a long-term White Sox pitcher and yada 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 they they, they give you the you know the, the the typical front office speak and uh you know the thing is though is the White Sox are just one of those teams that does not like to extend big contracts for many years to starting pitching. They just do not do it. They have never done it in the past. Uh, So there's the other school of thought on that as well, where there's, you know, there's a good contingent of fans that are out there like they're going to get it done, but there's that smaller contingent of fans are like, you know what? Lucas G might pitch his last season next year in a white Sox uniform, because he's going to get paid. If he does what he's supposed to do this year and next, he's going to get paid somewhere. And, you know, the White Sox typically don't do that when it comes to starting pitching. So I don't know. We'll see how that goes. It's it's definitely something to keep your eye on. But, uh, you know, again, it just goes back to roster construction and why I would have liked to have seen things get cleared up sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, I'm 100% there with you. You know, uh, the I understand the idea of having uh, – you know, as Rick Hahn likes to say, uh, having flexibility uh, with the payroll, and uh, what is that? He says uh, retaining some uh, some sort of flexibility with uh, spending to be able to make an acquisition or a pickup uh, at whatever time. You know, which is which is fine. However, going into a season with known Roster holes. That's 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 where I have an issue with it. Is that you know that there is a a, a hole at right field. Uh, you know that yeah. I mean they've been talking about it since the lockout ended. That uh, that that they needed more pitching. However, since the lockout, they have not. Uh, I mean, what well, they got Vince Vince Velasquez. Which uh, I mean, if yeah, bottom in
1: five, bottom five percent of the league in stats in the last couple of seasons.
0: Yeah, they need that payroll flexibility for that. Absolutely, um, tr- trade him while he has value. Well,
1: um, <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, Do black
1: and white pinstripes add value to to him?
0: <laughs> uh, no, it's usually white and navy pinstripes that add value. Uh, that I that that's what I found. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, the, this we, is a fun podcast. <laughs> we, we've, we, <laughs> we, we've, both heard, uh, in, in the last week that, uh, and, and there's been two schools of thought, uh, that either a, the White Sox have what they need in house for right field. And then there's the, uh, other, mm-hmm. I don't know, 75% of the fan base who's uh, ready... Yeah, we as in me and Danny. Not we as in me, myself, and I, dude. Come on. <laughs> hey, can't catch a break here. Uh, you know, the other 75% of the fan base which is saying that we're going into a season with a hole in right field. And the thing is is that Vaughn had... Uh, a full season last year, and we've gone over this as well uh, a bunch, but uh, 235 with a 705 OPS. Uh, Gavin Sheets was uh, quite a bit better than that, uh, I think, in the OPS category. I'd have to look up the stats. I don't remember off the top of my head, but I also want to say that it was only uh, 150 at-bats or something around that, um, which as we have had the same conversation about uh, your Mercedes and Luis Robert is that you hit that area of about 150 to 200 at bats. And generally that's where the guys numbers start to go South. Now, either they rebound and they come back up or that's it. And that's all you ever hear about these guys. Um, Now, the thing that I think that Gavin Sheets has in his arsenal that makes him uh, able to be able to uh, to make the adjustment is that one of the things that's always been Gavin Sheets' calling card is his bat to ball. Is that he right. is a very good contact hitter. That's everybody's. Com- everybody was complaining and saying, "Oh well, you know, he just doesn't have any power." You know, I mean, he's a good first baseman defensively, uh, and you know, he's he gets on base, but you know, we need that we need that power at first base, and that was always that was always the thing is that everybody was worried about whether or not he was going to develop that power, and now that he's developed that power, I think that there is a possibility that the learning curve slash adjustment period for him could be a little bit shorter because of that. What say you?
1: Uh, I don't really have much to say on it. I think he's, you know, he's shown we've seen what he's capable of. Uh, We saw the concourse shots last season. We saw, and we're still talking about sheets, correct? I just want to make sure that I'm not missing something here. Yes. Oh, I just, I, I'm just curious as to the, I, you know, I I, the, I get the, the line of questioning and, and where you're coming from, but uh, I don't understand why it's even a question at this point.
0: Is is that because it,
1: of what we've seen? Does that, you does know? that seem like a, a logical thought? Well, I mean, yeah, I think the, the guy's going to be a banger. And I think he's going to be a decent OPS guy, you know, and a left-handed bat. We all know that a left-handed bat plays. Okay. So uh, I have, it, I have the, one question for you.
0: Is he an outfielder?
1: Absolutely not. He's a DH. I'm sorry.
0: He's a DH or a first baseman. He's not an outfielder. Uh, unless something <sighs> drastically changes. And he gets uh, quite a bit more fleet of foot, and uh, his arm gets better. Uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not sold on that, uh, on that progression of putting him into right field. Now, as I was talking about uh, before, we got to Gavin Sheets, uh, Andrew Vaughn, in college was hit for a fantastic average fantastic uh fantastic ops lots of power uh but as mentioned uh on here numerous times is that he had never played above Winston Salem right uh and had never hit above uh, other than rookie ball which i you know whatever uh it, he'd never hit above 253 i think it was uh with you know decent decent ops i mean nothing nothing mind blowing i think it was somewhere around 800 or something like that if i remember but, correctly
1: but, but 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 he was the best pure hitter coming out of the draft
0: yeah and but, but, you know that but, the, the guy that was uh the the he was that good of a hitter and he was going to be major league ready right out of the draft is what some people said and um yet we see uh, some struggle, which fine, and I'm not saying that Andrew Vaughn's never going to hit the baseball in the majors. That's hundred no, percent not a what thug. I'm saying. But my my question is, he an outfielder?
1: <laughs> uh, again, no. You know, let's let's be honest. He was thrown into a situation last year that he probably never should have been thrown in, and it didn't even happen. You know, early in spring training, he had like a week and a half or something to get ready. You know, I it, I mean, I don't remember the exact timeline, but he didn't get a full spring training play in the outfield. Uh, he looked, he looked like a like a plotting horse out there at times. You know, early on, did he show some signs of improvement? Absolutely, sure. Uh, he he made some adjustments. He was at least serviceable. And in most times, D, you know, there are people out there that will tell you he made some fantastic catches. And I would, you know, my retort to that is, is, well, you know, if he was an outfielder, they wouldn't have looked so fantastic.
0: Yeah. Who the got themselves was, out of some, position?
1: Right. There were some routine fly balls that he made look fantastic because he was out of position or just uh, wasn't getting the jump or the read off the ball, Uh, you know. Did he fill in a, a hole last season? Absolutely. You know, was it acceptable? Eh, some of the time. You know, and, you know, again, though, he, he the, the bat struggled a little bit. He started out looking fairly decent. And, you know, we've been talking about this over and over on the show for last year about, you know, we talked about it earlier today. There's that 100 to 150, 200 at bat range where, you know, these young guys, seem to get figured out by pitchers and it takes them another 80 to 150 at bats to uh, kind of break out of that slump and return to a fairly normal uh, looking, you know, run at the, at the plate. And, uh, you know, unfortunately Andrew went through those struggles, you know, in the heat of the second half of the season, we saw there was a two month uh, stretch there where he didn't look like he was doing much of anything at the plate. And he was really kind of struggling and flailing and, You know, a lot of guys went through that last year, you know, and and we we could talk about the the shortened 2020 season and and guys not being prepared to go a full 162 and all those things. But reality is he's a young kid. Uh, I do expect him. In my personal opinion, I'd be like you saying he's bad. I I, I believe he's probably going to be a really good first baseman someday. But is he an outfielder? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at now. See, I ha- I have a question, and this is uh, when people asked Aloy if he would entertain DHing, and he used uh, some choice words uh, mm-hmm. to say no. Um, and one of the reasons that most people give for not wanting to DH is because that they don't feel that they're in the game. Right. Okay. So. You're bringing you know essentially a very young baseball player just straight out of college more or less uh you know give or take you know a a little bit of time in, in the minors, but you're asking him to make this huge jump in competition, and your first thought is because you've got Jose Abreu, is that you are going to slot him in at DH. So knowing that a lot of players don't like to DH because they don't feel they're in the game and they feel like there's too much time in between at-bats to get into your own head and start trying to tweak things and screwing things up with your swing – You decided that the best thing for a 24-year-old top 10 pick in the draft, the best thing to do with him was throw him in at DH. So then your your left fielder decides to... uh, go street ball and try and dunk over the fence for a ball hit 50 feet over the fence um, and gets injured. So now the plan is, okay, now we're not going to have him DH. Now we're going to have him play left field. Right. So now you've got him learning a position, but, you know, I, I understand that. I didn't really agree with it. You know, as we've talked about this before, I wasn't happy about him being named DH before, basically, before uh, spring training had even started. They were already talking about Andrew Vaughn being the DH. Then, as soon as Aloy goes down, now all of a sudden Andrew Vaughn's a left fielder, not a DH. So, my question is if some guys are not confident being only a DH because they feel like they're removed from the game. Should it have helped him that he was in left field or because it's a new position for him? Is it hurting him because he's in left field and that's why his batting numbers suffer? Because I've heard people make that argument. Well, he was learning a new position. So, uh, you know, it's not really a surprise that his, uh, his hitting numbers suffered.
1: Uh, yeah, I I guess I was playing left field and, and the, and the amount of time that he played in right field after Eloy came back last summer. Uh, was that taking up too much space in his head that, uh, he couldn't remember how to swing the bat. I don't really know. Uh, and you know, the funny thing is is he might end up playing a lot of right field this year and we might not really get the answer to that question because let's, you know, we can still say, you know, he's only had one year of playing the outfield under his belt. He's still developing his talents and skills out there. Uh, you know, he might not even really get the answer to that question this year. You might get much of the same from Andrew. Now I expect that you probably don't. I, I hope that, you know, maybe he's taking some time to refine his swing in the off season, whether or not he was actually you know, during the lockout, they couldn't work with the team or have any contact with them. But you know, all these guys have got their facilities that they go to in the off season and they do their thing. Uh, it, you, I expect that you see maybe some progression out of them, but you can't be a hundred percent certain, certain, certain <laughs> or sure. Uh, you can't be certain I, either. No, but you know, you, you can't be, you, you can't be certain on any really proven themselves yet. Uh, jumping in, you know, uh, it's, it, it's been pointed out to me numerous times in my, you know, I've been ranting a little bit here on the socials. Uh, not going to lie. I, you know, uh, my thought—I've been very open about it for a long time—is we needed to get a right fielder, a really solid, proven right fielder. Whether or not he's a, the best defender in the world, we—I wanted a bigger, I wanted another big bat because everybody talks about this this team last year and, and what they did in the playoffs and the first round exit the last couple of seasons. And yeah, in 2020, that A series, uh, it seemed like pitching was the issue. A lot of people point to pitching this year, this past off season. But I gotta be honest with you, the offense wasn't exactly awesome in either one of those series, either. And you, this is supposed to be a loaded lineup, you know, one through seven, one through eight is just supposed to be phenomenal, you know, big bats left and right. Uh and, and I gotta be honest with you, you know, the I mean, you're you're talking about, you've got sixteen hits through three games, and only one of them's a dinger on a team that's supposed to be, you know, a banger of a team. And everything else is, uh, singles. We we didn't have an extra base hit for the longest time. Yeah. So game three, you know, uh, I wanted to see some proven offense and, you know, the Nick Castellanos is out there. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about Michael Conforto on this show a little bit and how, you know, I'm not huge on him, but, you know, the guy's uh he's he's a hitter for the most part. He goes through some slumps, he's streaky. Uh, you know, there but a, he
0: does walk when he's when he's right. uh, when his when his hitting's off,
1: which is is a thing in the positive direction, and I understand that. Right. But uh, you know, it, it would have been nice to have a high OPS guy out there in right field, regardless if his defense is all that great. You know, people talk about Castellanos and some of the other guys out there, the Schwarbers and and whatnot. Uh I got to ask the question every time. Every single time. Do you think any of these guys are less of a defender than Gavin Sheets or Andrew Vaughn was last season? But they've got proven g- consistently better bats at the major league level years, you know, and it, there's 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 years of stats. I think I can live with a guy who's maybe a slightly subpar Defender. And I think that, you know, the, the Nick Cassiano's conversation about him being a subpar defender is way overblown. The guy is not as bad as people make him out to be. Has he made some gaps and some snafus out there? Absolutely. He's uh,
0: not that terrible. I mean, he's not he's good. He's really not. He's not good. But I will and, say this. He's definitely a better outfielder than Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn. Andrew Vaughn.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would rather not see... Uh, Larry Baseball watching balls go over his head after he breaks in two steps and to find out that the ball went over his head by 45 feet. You know what I mean? Uh, I want a, a true outfielder. Doesn't have to be the best defensive outfielder in the world. But this lineup, as good as it should be, has shown it needs a little bit of offensive help too.
0: Yeah. His comment in the chat it says, look at Adam Dunn's track record before he came here. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I, I'm i not saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you also have to look at that time period. Uh, I mean, yeah, with him, there was no signs that, uh, that, that Adam Dunn was going to fall off a cliff nearly that bad. Uh, yeah. And the weird thing was is that uh, the next year, he wasn't. Nearly as bad as he was the first year. I think he hit like 150 his first season. And then uh, the second year, he was back up to like 220, which is not great, but it certainly wasn't uh, the absolute train wreck that his first year was. Um, Yeah, no, I, at the way I look at this thing, it said there in the chat says, thing is, there was no sure thing options for, for right field and free agency. And see, that's the thing is that. There weren't any sure things in right field after the lockout Hi, because before the lockout is when all of the guys who were more uh close to what you would call a uh i wouldn't necessarily say a five tool outfielder but you know more along the lines of a uh a three and a half to four tool outfielder that is somebody that you look. At and say, all right. Well, he's not going to hit you thirty-five home runs, but he'll play a pretty stinking good defense. Uh, he can run. He can hit the ball for average. He can be on base, and uh, I would have been fine with that. And the thing was, is that quite a few of those guys signed before the lockout and weren't all that expensive. The same could be said right. for their, you know, for their hole that uh, we've been talking about in the starting pitching. Is that yeah, they what did, let?
1: What did Kettle uh, Marte sign for?
0: Uh, no, no, Starling Marte.
1: I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Starling Marte. Uh, oh. Let me take a look. Well, I mean, uh, I Kettle's played some outfield too. Although he Who's would that? have been nice. Sp- oh, Kettle. Kettle. Yeah. Yep. He uh, he he's played some outfield too. Uh, but you know, I think at that time, you know, before the lockout had happened, if we were to sign a, a tell Marte Marte, would have been a, a second base.
0: Starling Marte, fifteen million dollars.
1: Extremely affordable.
0: Exactly. Th- this this is my point is that there were guys that checked the boxes, but the thing was is you know af- as we have talked about before on uh, this very stream uh, daily White Sox, um, daily White Sox live, uh, that we felt that it was possible that. The front office was expecting the the market to move slow. Yes, Marte is like 32. That's the whole point, is that Stone Marte term. is 32. So you don't have to commit to him long time. You know that he can at least play a decent defense, give you a decent bat, and that leaves you open for a few years down the line or a year down the line, if you decide you want to trade him because you've got something coming up that allows you to promote Colas, that allows you to get Cespedes at bats in the minor leagues. And if you want and you're ready to bring him up, go ahead and shop a Starling Marte. Fine. You know, there, there, are, there were other options than taking this plan of forcing Andrew Vaughn to play like a major league player without not without getting, you know, a, a decent amount of it bats. And like I said, I'm not saying that Andrew Vaughn's not going to be a good hitter. He very well may be a very good major league hitter. He just hasn't been. And for where this team is in the rebuild, we're not supposed to be going and trying to put a round peg in a square hole when you don't need to. You're supposed to be prepared enough. You have left yourself all of this financial flexibility to make moves to get guys when you need to Yet when it comes time for when you need to, which is heading into a season not with a black hole in not one position, but two positions, but three positions, but four positions, because you've got right field where people are penciling in Vaughn and Sheets and Engel, which I love Adam Engel's defense. His bat looks like it's taken an uptick. However, as we've talked about, the guy hasn't been healthy for an entire hundred and sixty-two game season in ever. I mean, it's been right. years. So you've got that. It's you've the got the same
1: injury over and over again, too. Exactly. You know, when you start to you start to see Hammy go every single season, you gotta question the viability of that hammy ever being right.
0: Yep. And then you've got Sheets, who's not an outfielder. You've got him penciled in for right field at bats, which we know by watching him play baseball, and the fact that he has never played the outfield except for when his his dad, who was an outfielder in Major League Baseball in the eighties, and uh, you know, uh, I think the very his, and, early you nineties, know, I think, but yeah, you know,
1: and Larry Sheets was not the Clydesdale that Gavin is either. No,
0: yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, exactly. He was he wasn't a bad outfielder; he was a decent outfielder. But you know, when that is your proposed trio for right field and then you've got dh where if you're not putting vaughn and right field then everybody else is talking about vaughn being the dh and you've seen what he's done so far with the bat going to a major league season with the plan of having a 705 ops guy Getting 650 at bats for you doesn't seem like the wisest choice either. No. Also, second base. You picked up Josh Harrison. Cool. At least he, you know, like, at least he is a serviceable, slightly above replacement second baseman. It's not, you know, any kind of a splash you know, signing, of course, which, which is fine, you know? like Yeah,
1: all- I'm not mad, but, the, you know, I felt like there were other routes to go there as well. Just saying.
0: If you take Engel's last three seasons, it equals one. Thank you, Mark Gore. Um, so, and now, okay, so the, the one of these three so far that you've taken care of is second base, and the thing is, is that the guy that you grabbed was probably one of the better second basemen that was left on the market because this off season, there weren't really any second basemen. They were all shortstops that happened to be playing second base where they were, but right. none of them were really second basemen. So right. you got Josh Harrison. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm that, that is like the least of my worries now is the signing of Josh Harrison, because at least I know that he can play defense. He can run and more than likely he's probably going to, he's not going to be any worse than Cesar Hernandez. How about that?
1: Uh, uh, You know what? I will accept that. And uh, you know, he's getting a little up there in age, but he still looks like he's in great shape. I've been watching him a little bit this spring. Uh, Still moving really well. Bat looks, you know, like it looks like it's going to play. You know, he's a high-contact guy. Might get himself into some ground ball and double play situations, but that's expected for a high-contact guy. It doesn't yep. hit, you know, 30 bombs a year. But, uh, you know, sounds like uh, a 35-year-old uh, Nicky Madrigal to me. Except, you know, Marte might actually... I'm sorry, Marte. Wow, I'm still stuck on the Marte thing. Um, I'm looking at the, the chat here. Anyway, uh, he sounds like a, a 35-year-old mm-hmm. uh Kind of same you know genre of player, I guess you would say. He fits in the same slot as Nick Madrigal. Well,
0: he's got a little bit more pop than that. But yeah. He did have a but he had uh, a really nice uh, first to third today on uh Zach Collins uh single. Yeah. So I mean he, the guy's still know, got it, wheels, he can still play baseball.
1: He might strike out a little bit more than uh Madrigal, you know, but uh you know the other thing was Madrigal didn't like to walk much either. Uh, Harrison does Harrison actually will take some pitches. So, you know, again, I, you know, he, he might not be the biggest hitter on the team, but he's going to get on base. And, uh, really honestly with a, with a team that's built the way the white socks are with the amount of power, potentially anyway, uh, you know, we thought there was going to be more power last year than there actually was. Uh, but you know, again, a lot of these guys are, are healthy. Hopefully they can stay healthy. Let me knock on wood here, but, uh, you know with the power potential, it would be nice to see some base runners on when these guys are hitting concourse shots. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So sure. I it, I'm not I'm not mad at that signing. Were there other directions they could have went? Absolutely. Uh and who knows, maybe they took this route because again, and this is exactly what we've been talking about in right field. The point I'm about to make about second base is when you sign a uh Josh Harrison that's gonna be 35 in like June or July this year. Um he's on a short-term contract and you've got guys like Yolbert Sanchez and Romy Gonzalez and, you know, a handful of other names in the system that might make their way up and be second baseman. Dare I even say, you know, we, we talk about the Jake Berger, uh, taking some reps, you know, there in the, in the off season and, and maybe we'll even see a little bit of it in spring, but, uh, you know, that's the kind of move that. Okay. If you, expect some of these younger guys to come up and be the guy. Why not do the same thing in right field where you get some who's a little bit older and can fill that hole for a little while. We don't necessarily have to go out and get the, the five-year, $125 million contract, but give me somebody serviceable. It's,
0: it's got a little bit of pop. That's exactly my thinking is that there? there is no excuse for going into the season knowing that either Andrew Vaughn is either A, going to be in right field, or B, is going to be your DH. If you are looking to contend for a World Series, to me, that that is your option A, to put somebody with a 705 OPS at DH... And to put a first baseman slash DH in right field, if that's like your co-option A, uh, to me that seems like a, a fairly bad idea. Then this also, you know, I said four, this also, you let arguably, probably your, probably your best pitcher when he was in there, you let him walk. And he just yeah. signed with San Francisco. And say what you will about his health, uh, fine. If you didn't want Carlos Rodon for the qualifying offer of 18.4 or 6 or whatever it was for this one year, and you know he's walking out uh, to. Not well to replace that with Michael Kopech, who
1: yeah has had his own health history.
0: Has had Tommy John. I mean, granted, he's he's a couple of years off of Tommy John, so his arm is not going to hit uh, necessarily necessarily that early of a, uh, a a dead arm period. But no,
1: but did he get stretched out the way we
0: were told that was going to happen last year? No, no, he didn't. And he, and here's the other thing, is that even if, uh, I would not have been mad with Eddie Rosario, I actually would have been fine with that. But he resigned with the Braves, and I think he signed yeah. for like eight million dollars or something, or six million dollars. I mean, it was like yeah. wasn't that much money. Um, but I mean,
1: if you've been a Sox fan at all over the last ten years, you know, you know how much he liked to hit at the G rate because yeah. he crushed Sox picking, pitching. On a regular there, <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, no, and I. But I mean, the thing is, I've also seen the uh, the the um the twins blooper reel that uh, somebody on the twins made of him when uh, when he left Minnesota last year. Last year, I think. Um, so, like, I mean, I get it. He's not. Uh, he's not the best. No, he's not a great outfielder. <laughs> but, you know, he does check a couple of the boxes. And, you know, f- for the most part, like, he wasn't even really all that great last year. Uh, he just had a really, really nice run in the playoffs. But um, so here, here's the thing about, about Kopech is that this is the exact same thing as Vaughn, except for here's here is the key difference, is that when he was in the minor leagues, which he has pitched in the minor leagues quite a few times, Uh, for quite a few seasons, he has had very good success. That is not something you can say about Vaughn. So at least bringing Kopech and replacing Rodon with Kopech at least seems like, well, you know, he's done it here. There's no reason for us to send him back here. So the only next logical progression now that he is off of TJ and we have nursed him along, After missing 2020, we nursed him along in 2021. At least it makes sense in 2022 to have Kopech make his ascent into the starting rotation. But as we had seen from Kopech the first time, is that he does have a tendency or has had a tendency to have a higher pitch count and get himself into trouble early like cease had as well you know which he, he right. did it again you know he did it last year as well he just didn't do it as often
1: and now you're talking about a guy who's going to be on an inning as well yes. so if they're talking you know 150 160 innings like we've been hearing is general consensus there and let's just say the average starting pitcher is getting five to six innings and outing you know these last couple of seasons uh, due to you know some of those circumstances and bullpens being you know much more reliable kind of across the board, even though it's a it's a kind of one of those volatile things, uh, you know you want to take that if if the average starting pitcher is getting around two hundred innings a year, and you're taking you know not
0: so much anymore, but yeah,
1: Well or close anyway, yeah, uh, most of them are getting close the, the, to that. At least the horses are anyway. Right? If you if you know if Michael Kopeck's only going to get forty. 150 you're looking at it's roughly going to be you know 10 ish starts that this guy's going to miss and yep. you're talking them, you're you're putting him is your near number three or number four in your rotation right
0: well i mean and the thing is is that keichel's still here right you know, which i mean <laughs> yeah i understand he's under contract for another year and uh I doubt anybody else wants him, and they probably certainly don't want him for sixteen or eighteen million, whatever is whatever his contract is for yeah, this 18. year. Yeah, I mean they they certainly are not going to take on that uh, that kind of payroll. So the question is, like the way I'm looking at it, is that you've got essentially four starters. You've got Geledo, Cease, and Lynn, and then Kopech is. of a pitcher and Keuchel is 0.25 of a pitcher. So you've got essentially four full starters. And your way of addressing this was by picking up Vince Velasquez and, um, you know, possibly using him in a long relief role uh, and picking up uh, Joe Kelly and Kendall Graveman. And, you know, like that was the answer. The answer wasn't, hey, we're letting Carlos Rodon walk, who pitched 140 Cy Young, like more or less Cy Young innings for us. And the thought was to put Kopech in there. It wasn't to go out and get a a starter that was going to replace 140 Cy Young-type innings. It was... Let's let's push let's push Michael in there, and uh, next man up. Which again, he's had success in the minors, so at least I can understand that line of thinking.
1: Right. You know. Right, and as you know, uh, Mark Orr points out in the chat here. Yeah, uh, if you're looking at you know Michael Kopech got like sixty nine and a third yeah. or sixty nine yep. and two thirds innings last year, so one hundred and forty puts him over double what yep. he did last year. Uh, who's who's to say that he even makes it to that 140? He hasn't pitched that much yet in his professional career. Yeah. Uh, we don't know that that's going to happen. And my point of bringing up the fact that he's going to pitch, you know, they're talking this this 140 innings or so, you know, limit that it keeps getting tossed around. It wasn't so much that it's, you know, that's double what he pitched last year for me. Now, that's a good point that it is double what he pitched last year or more. But, It's to say that you still have to find somebody to fill in the gap for those 10 or so starts that he's going to miss if he makes it to 140 innings-ish.
0: Yeah, there's mention of uh, Reynaldo Lopez
1: being a factor, which, you know. Hey, you know, I'm okay with that. I mean, ever since the surgery, you know, a, a different version of himself. His uh, breaking ball seems to have uh, come back to life.
0: Well, they brought the curveball back, so that that certainly is uh, something as well, right? So, I just but the thing is, is that again, we are talking about losing one hundred and forty innings of Cy Young, Cy Young. <laughs> level caliber <laughs> pitching, and just letting it walk for nothing, and then the plan is to. I mean, I know he's not a rookie anymore, but you're essentially, you have a rookie starting pitcher that you're expecting to take over those innings and expecting it to be okay. So I think that the next logical thing here is now that we have finished this complaint session, uh, I'd like to uh, <laughs> like to uh, adjourn this meeting of uh, complaining and, I'd like to talk about the Minnesota Twins. Hey, and uh, and what they've done in free agency here. Um, for those of you, if you uh, have your head buried in the sand, uh, the Minnesota Twins signed Carlos Correa, shortstop. Houston Astros uh, to a three-year, I think it was 105-ish, $105.1 million. It makes him like, by like $100,000, like this year, makes him the highest, uh, the highest paid positional player in major leagues. Right. Um, And AAV-wise. Yeah, AAV-wise. And uh, so... Carlos Correa switched his agents in the middle of uh, the offseason. I think it was like, what, like a week or two into the offseason that he switched uh, from whoever the uh, guy was that was representing him before. I can't remember who it was, but uh, switched over to Boris. And uh, one thing that was brought to my attention is that because Castellanos or not Castanos because Correa had uh, an agent for the year and part of the offseason and switched to Boris, or maybe it was during the season he switched to Boris. Either way, it doesn't matter. The majority of the year was his old agent. And so if Carlos Correa signs a long-term deal, even if Boris is the one that's doing the deal, the other agent who had, say, two-thirds of the year of the calendar year or whatever that he had, he's going to end up getting two-thirds of that commission because he had the player for that long, you know, for like, uh, you know, ratio-wise, I guess. So the thinking that I've heard is that – The reason why he signed this three-year deal with an opt-out after every year is because his plan is to make money this year, opt-out, assuming he has a good season, of course, uh, opting out, and then signing a long-term deal next year. And that way, Boris gets all of his commission... And there's also talk that Boris was talking about getting Correa to Atlanta, who has one final year of Dansby Swanson at shortstop. So that is that is the uh, the conspiracy theory going uh, conspiracy theory going around. So um, sounds like
1: a whole different type of collusion.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. player and agent collusion. Yeah, I mean, so, I guess it's just a I I I wouldn't necessarily call it collusion. I I just, yeah, say just I, find call a it a game holes, plan, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. and they made those trades uh, with the uh, with the Yankees to get Urshela and uh, um, Gary Sanchez. Gary Sanchez, the human pass ball machine, um, and uh, strikeout machine. Uh, which does not make them better, but however, they still have a, they still have a a decent catcher and apparently uh, Sanchez will be sharing time. I assume that he'll probably be getting some DH time as well, but uh, apparently Jeffers is going to play some catcher as well. Um, But they also traded for Sonny Gray, which, you know.
1: That to me is actually might be the biggest move made this off season because, uh, you know, the Twins were, uh, I would, as a Sox fan, I hate to use this this word, but they were a little bit of a disappointment in the Central last year, and a lot of that hinged on pitching more than anything else. They, they just they kind of struggled in the pitching department. So I think that's a, you know, it's a pretty big move for them to, to pick up Gray. And I don't think that left-handed starter, he was probably like uh, in the, the you know, the top 50 free agents this year is probably in the 30 somewhere. I yeah. Yeah.
0: I was, I was getting mixed up in my, uh, in my, uh, my rants here, but yeah. So he ended up with, uh, ended up with the blue Jays and, uh, but I mean, so the uh, Randy Dobnak uh, ends up going on the 60 day DL today for the twins. And uh Maeda who was one of their uh, better pitchers last year? Had Tommy John last year. He's not expected back until I think September ish. Uh, was
1: it that late? Really? I thought. Yeah, it was, yeah. It's not, it not till later on season. Th-
0: yeah, no, okay. I don't think so. I think it's supposed to be like August or September. He's out for a while, unless unless he progresses quickly, I suppose. But uh, he got put on the sixty day DL as well. So their pitching is uh, less than stellar. However. Um Cy uh Joe Cy Mays, Uh Bruce Cai Chen. Um we have seen the White Sox get befuddled.
1: Bruce Chen is like <laughs> might as well be the Bruce Lee of pitching when yeah. he plays the guy's numbers are not exactly the The White Sox cannot figure this dude out to save their lives. He makes them yep. look like preschoolers.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, doing we've it
1: seen since he was with Kansas city and now he's going to do it, it with twins. Like, it's just, wow.
0: Yeah. I mean, it does not take a top tier pitcher to make the white Sox look silly. In fact, most of the time they generally do pretty well against the top tier pitching. It's these guys that nobody's ever heard of that generally, uh, either a it's their first or second start in the major leagues or, they, uh, me, you know, have a 1.6 whip against everybody else, but against the White Sox, they'll come out and you know have like a 0. 0.7 whip. You know, it it makes <laughs> zero sense. You know, but the White Sox are like we've watched this for years now, and I I know that you could say, well, you know, that those guys were more like in the uh, the 2010 era, but we saw it last year that the same thing happened. And we also saw that the White Sox offense kind of went dormant after June, like mid June.
1: Yeah. There was some pretty good streaks there where it was, it wasn't just or two guys in a slump. It was a team slump where, and and, you know, we talked about this a lot again, last season, you know, anytime you saw the White Sox go out and, and put up, you know, seven, eight, 10, 12 runs, you could basically shut them down for the next four days. You might as well just take the next four days off because they're yep. not going to hit at all. You're going yeah. to string together five hits over the next four games.
0: Yeah. I mean, like they might win a game three to one, but they're not putting up any more than three or four runs for the next f- four days. You know, yeah, I we, we they, we've it was that
1: streakiness, you know, and, and that's the thing. Uh, you know, I, you look at the social I have these that we're having right now with some of the folks out there and everybody says, "Well, you know, the team's going to be healthy and everything's going to be hunky dory." But yep. you know, it was uh there was a good 2-month period at the end of the year last year where it was pretty close to 100%. Now, I am one of those ones I've said it many times here. I've said it in the other conversations everywhere else. I do believe there is something to be said about gelling with the guys around you and playing on the field together on a daily basis. But you know what? Two months is pretty dang good. That's that's plenty of time to uh, get the feel for the guy next to you going into the playoffs. And uh, we saw a lot of, uh, you know, it's the same in the playoffs. Just offense disappearing. No extra base hits. Guys couldn't, you know, guys were striking out. Guys weren't walking. Uh, you know, or we would get one or two guys on and, and the next guy up would swing in for the fences mm-hmm. instead of trying to move runners over. I, I don't know how many times runners left on base was a, was a huge, there was, I, you know, without looking it up, there were some major holes in that stat uh, all last season. Uh, yeah. and it's, you know, that's one of those things where, you know, that could argue, You know, you look like there's the argument back in the day where people used to say, oh, you take all the one run games team won this year. And if you take half of those and and turn those one run game wins into losses, you know, you take a a hundred win team and turn them into an 80 win team that doesn't make the playoffs. Yeah. You know, uh, it's the same thing with runners left on base. You know, you take a team that left a ton of runners on base one season like the White Sox did last year and maybe next year they don't leave as many on. They leave half as many on, and now they look like an absolute offensive juggernaut. So I don't know. It could go either way, but I sure would like to see more. You know, you talk about these long stretches. We saw it. Yep. We saw it.
0: Yeah. I mean, no, it, this, I mean, and we saw it into the playoffs. We did. What happened indeed. in the playoffs? We had one game, essentially, where they just went off. The other game's. Singles. So much, and no clutch hitting to drive the drive the guys in. It's it. It was a theme. If you were watching last year or listening to us and us showing you the numbers, is that there were long. It was a long stretch where, yes, they did win some games. However what they would do is they would run up the score for a game and then they'd take two days off and then they'd score five and win five to three. And then the next game they'd run off 12 and then they wouldn't score, you know, more than one or two runs for the next three games. And it was, just it was like that for a long time. And uh, I can
1: put some of that on TLR as well too.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, you could, I mean, realistically, there is blame to go around. And you know, I mean, the guys players will say off. it. You know, the, the pitching staff would say, you know, I had a bad game. Fine. The hitters would say, I got to do better. Yes. And then Tony La Russa would say, my bad. Cool, man. You know, like, as we said last year, I'm really, really happy for you that you are taking accountability for the mistake you're making. However, it doesn't change the fact of the matter is that it shouldn't have happened in the first place. and Or the and, fact
1: that that same state mistake continued to happen over and over again. When you tell people, in, I mean, you come out and you do these post-game interviews and you say, I won't make that mistake again. I take responsibility for that. Yeah. And three days later, you see the exact same thing happen. I mean, you granted, some of these games that we lost last year, good socks were up eight to four going into later innings of the game. And you bring in the same guy that pitched out of the bullpen yesterday and the day before. And his arm is like a a torn rubber band. And you've got a, you've got the game at hand. You're up four runs in the seventh or eighth inning. And you, you want to bring this guy out there. He obviously doesn't have it. And now you've got the three batter rule where he's gonna stay in there and get absolutely dinged up. And we saw long stretches where guys didn't pitch for a week and a half. So yep. we're just gonna beat the crap out of this guy and yes, lose the game it's your turn. Hand. It's-, <laughs> it's your turn. You, <laughs> you
0: get to pitch every day for uh for a week and then uh and then after that, then you get four or five days off, and then we'll beat the piss out of him for a week. Um maybe uh, it, that I mean, know. maybe that's why. Rick Hahn says that he needs lots of bullpen arms because he knows that that's what's <laughs> going to happen. Yeah. That Matt Foster game. That's the first thing that came to my mind. And well, I mean, that was it, the beginning it was, of it. It was. Yeah. yeah. That well, I mean, it literally was the beginning of it. It was like, what the third series of the season or something.
1: Yeah. It was like, like or second maybe. Yeah.
0: I mean, it was uh, like, I I'm sitting, I, I remember happen. it. Like it was yesterday. I was at my kid's baseball game. It was freezing. And I've got my phone. (laughs) I'm listening to the game and I'm like walking. I'm like, I go, I watch the game uh, when they're hitting. And then I go sit in the car where I can just watch from far away when they're on defense. And then I would come back out and I'm, you know, listening to the game and I get into the car and Matt Foster comes in. And my son's team, had on defense the longest inning I've ever seen in my entire life, and you know what? They got out of their inning before Matt Foster was taken out of the game, <laughs> and it was at that point where I was like, "All right, something's going on here." Like I, I'm not, you know, <laughs> number one, like he only warmed up for like seven pitches or something like that, and then he was in we the saw game a lot of that last yeah, year. Yeah, and and then. He's in the game and gives up eight runs. Like, what are we doing here? Anyway, I don't need to get back into that one. That one was uh, particularly painful. But, I mean, uh, yeah, so I'm just simply saying that I'm not technically worried that the Twins signed Correa, and I'm not worried that they got Sonny Gray. I'm just pointing out that... The White Sox, just a just a theory here, uh, that the White Sox not going out and bettering their situation uh, is making for a little bit more anxiety. Certainly for the fans, I'm sure, um, but also possibly instilling a little bit of uh, hope in Minnesota that they're like, you know what. Well, we can do something here, you know. Like, uh, Byron Buxton's coming back from his injury if he stays healthy and we get Correa. We made a deal, got rid of some bad Josh Donaldson money, um, pick up Sonny Gray. We'll, uh, do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little shake and bake, you know, and, uh, maybe, uh, we finish 500 against the White Sox this year. And the Royals last year whipped. The White Sox's ass like a donkey half the time last year. Uh, oh, the,
1: last, the, the second half of the season was absolutely atrocious. Yeah. Against the Bay
0: Tigers, State. they didn't concede anything. They, I mean, say what you want about Javi Baez, but they did go out and they made uh, a couple of deals. They picked up a couple of guys that, you know, the Detroit Tigers shortstop was a black hole last year, and they replaced it with a. Uh, a possible uh halfway decent player. You know, he's great defensively, but I mean he's good for generally like uh you know a lot a ton of strikeouts and uh he'll hit some home runs and he'll get you know he'll do some positive things but he's not uh you know I don't think he's uh Carlos Correa level however you know I mean injuries are it's always definitely an improvement for them though. definitely I an mean. improvement exactly so I mean they're probably going to, you know, just like we're sitting here talking about how the White Sox are expecting to make steps and uh, for players to make uh, a little bit of an ascension here, like we're expecting Dylan Cease to take that next next step. I'm sure Tigers fans and, uh, you know, baseball insiders are looking at uh, Casey Mize and uh, Manning and looking at these guys and saying, okay, this year is the year for them to, take a little bit of a step and be a little bit better. They're going to start getting better too. Plus they've got a bunch of prospects on the way. Uh, is that, uh, green, uh, green and Torkelson and, uh, uh, what, uh a Hunter, couple more no, that I'm not Hunter thinking green? of. No Hunter greens. Uh, no, not, I'm not Hunter green. Uh, it's something with an S I think. Uh, yeah, I don't remember his, uh, I don't remember his first name off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, like I haven't been on
1: my MLB, uh, you know, MLB the show. You know
0: Riley Green.
1: Riley Green, there you go.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, they've got guys that are coming as well. Just like, you know, for a few years people were hearing that the White Sox had guys that were coming and that were going to be in the majors, and then, you know, their team was going to rise up from the ashes and it was going to be this juggernaut. Well, the rest of the teams in the division didn't freak out, you know, and just all of a sudden stop doing business, you know? I mean, they they continue to do their thing. The Tigers tanked for, like, five years and got number one picks for, like, like I was, like, the number one pick overall for, like, I don't know, like three or four
1: years. Three years in a row.
0: Yeah. I mean, like – Nobody else is, uh, ah, yes. Don't forget next Tuesday, all T-Mobile customers get to sign up for their free MLB TV. Thanks. Thanks, Toppy. Appreciate that. Push a robot. Um, So nobody else stopped doing business. Uh, It's like, you know, the White Sox, they did all this business. And then they're like, okay, we're good.
1: I suspect there's still, you know, there's th- you, a lot of people will point this out. And I'm not going to say that it's not happening. Uh, you know, that it, there's time left before the season starts. And I think Rick Hahn even said, and I don't want to say this is an exact quote, but he uh, he basically said this thing could go right up to opening day. You know, which whatever that means, I don't really know. Uh, I even heard somebody, uh, you know, speculate. That uh, if the Lucas Giolito has actually got an extension in place, and they're going to wait till opening day to uh, announce it. And that's going to be your big off-season move. That's going to make Sox fans feel good about, hey, you know, we didn't go out and get that big right fielder. We didn't go out and get the premier second baseman. We didn't go out and get the uh, the premier starter that everybody was hoping for. And we didn't trade Craig Kimbrell. And you yeah, know, but we're not going to let this guy leave. But but Lucas Giolito is signed for another. million of year deal or whatever it is. You know, uh, I don't really know. Again, that's just speculation, but uh, the way things have gone this off season wouldn't shock me.
0: Yeah. And you know, and, and that's fine. My, but my point is, is that, okay, that extension's cool. And that's, that's something that I did want. However, it doesn't make the team better.
1: No, the same holes that were there that everybody has been talking about since the beginning of the offseason are there now. Yep. Aside from second base, maybe. Yep. Yeah, which
0: I mean, you know, if if Josh Harrison hits like he did last year, he had a 103 WRC+. plus, So it's 3% better than the average major leaguer. So, I mean, you're not talking like some catastrophic See, difference, awful. although it's certainly better than what we got out of Cesar Hernandez last year. And uh you know that that I'm not unhappy with, and he can also play a lot of other positions, which is great. I, I have zero problems with the Josh Harrison signing, zero because yeah, I mean it either. wasn't I, for a lot of money, and he's a, he's a decent player. He's not you know an all star, but he's decent. You know, so I, I can't be mad about that. However, you know, if we were to get a 100 WRC plus right fielder, that would be uh. Better than we've had at, in right field for
1: <laughs> since JD. I,
0: I don't know if it's been that long, but it's it's been a long time. Uh, I think maybe uh, Alex Rios. Maybe if he was he, uh,
1: was was he a hundred WRC guy? I'm pretty sure he was. Maybe, yeah. one, oh, maybe one Quentin season? too. Q. Yeah. The, the thing about Quentin was though, was the was he guy was, healthy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he had the back spasms were almost constant with him. It seemed yeah. like, you know, and I don't know. He was kind of I, the locker apparently didn't like him. They, gave, they said he was kind of weird. Alex Rios. Dude. No, uh, Carlos Quentin.
0: Oh yeah. No. Well, no, he I was, think the thing was, is that he was just, uh, he was just not, uh, he was quiet. I think that's what it was. I'm I don't different. think it that he was yeah, a jerk.
1: No, he wasn't. He wasn't a jerk. He was just different. Yeah. Just, just a little strange. Different. Yeah.
0: Um yeah, Avi Garcia, that might yeah, that might be true. Maybe they got like maybe, a yeah. Maybe, maybe they got yeah, like I a mean. like a 105 out of him at some point. Uh let's take a look. See. OPS Oh, I mean, yeah, all they of got this stuff uh, though,
1: is, is uh, you know, we could say that maybe ways guys did a season.
0: Oh yeah, there's that it's one been, really good year for Avi in 2017. He was a 138 WRC. He, that was the one where he was uh, where he hit 330, and he was like vying for the batting title. And we were kind of all yeah. thrown off because uh, we weren't expecting it. And then he, uh, then he turned around and uh, had a okay year the next year, and then he disappeared. So. Yeah.
1: You know, and that's the thing. I mean, that's kind of my point is, you know, we can throw some of these names out there where it's happened, the Carlos Quintons, the Aubrey Garcias, the Alex Rioses, but it's been a long time since we've had that consistently. Yeah. You know, every one of these guys might have had one year where they did it. You know, and Rios played a lot of center. on Yeah. Too, no, right? yeah. I mean, yeah,
0: that's I, I thought about that. But, I mean, you know, regardless, I mean, it's not like uh, not like the options for the White Sox in the outfield have really been uh, like we've had a lot to write a home about in the uh, you know the last seven eight years you know prior to uh, you know Aloy and Luis Robert being around so uh, if we can yeah and healthy, I mean that's then... the other
1: thing you know you talk about Aloy and, and Robert. And if these guys can stay healthy and do the things they do, this is going to be the first time in a long time that the White Sox were able to develop players, position players in their own system. You know, whether or not they came from trades from somewhere else, they were in the farm system long enough to say that the White Sox were the ones that, you know, had the biggest hand in their development coming up through the farm system. Uh, That's the other part of the argument where people say, you know, we've got, you know, Basabe's back and Mike Rodolfo is, is out of options and he's got to do something this year. And we've got the Colos and the Cespedes and this, that, and the other. And, you know, as highly touted as some of the, the skill sets are for these guys and, and the ceiling, you know, possibly being high for these guys. There's not a whole lot of evidence to say that the White Sox can develop that and get the best out of these dudes. They haven't done it. There's not a proven track record for it unless you're a pitcher. And even more specifically a relief pitcher player development and a positional side of the ball is not been a forte of the White Sox in many, many, many years. So, you know, again, I know I, I, I'm not trying to go back to that whole right field conversation in that sense. I just wanted to, just wanted to throw that out there since, you know, those names were being brought up, you know? uh, Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, you know, besides Chris sale, who's, uh, you know, Obviously, just a, it's like uh, Scott Steiner. He's a genetic freak. Uh, He was just great straight out of, you know, basically straight out of college. Uh, The other guy that the White Sox have really had that has been a success story is Carlos Rodon, you know, and it took cats coming here. To finally unlock the potential for Carlos Rodon for what probably he probably should have been. You know, how much of the damage done to Carlos Rodon's arm could have been avoided if he was using his legs to drive instead of using his upper body to throw these pitches? And the fact that. That was never addressed under Coop, who had him for years. What does that say? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it took cats to come here and, uh, and finally use that core velocity belt to say, hey, this is, what's, this is what's going on. You are putting a lot more torque on your shoulder than you should be because you are not driving with your legs. And like that you know, say what you want, you know, like everybody say, Oh, well, you know, they didn't give him the qualifying offer because his arm's going to fall off. They know something that you don't. Um, but the thing is is that they use the core velocity belt, tell him what he's doing wrong. He tweaks one thing. And then overnight you go from a guy that was struggling in, two innings of relief coming back from Tommy John to a couple months later a guy who's coming out and looks like a Cy Young Absolute. candidate.
1: Yeah, he's just absolutely dominating.
0: And he's and he's got more voli- he's throwing like almost 100. And he's putting less stress on his arm. The guy hadn't pitched 140 innings since like 2016. So it had been five you know, like almost you know like five complete seasons that this guy has gone since throwing 100 and I think he threw like 160 innings or whatever in 2016. Yeah. He'd gone like five years with partial seasons and this injury and that injury, and the White Sox told him not to get the Tommy John because you know, we're going to rehab your arm and then they rehab his arm and then they still don't fix the problem. And then he ends up needing TJ anyway. And then he's got bleeding on his bicep. I mean, it's like for crying out loud. I mean, that should have been like, you know.
1: Yeah. I'm not a medical professional,
0: but that should have been some sort of a red flag when this guy, his arm (coughs) is every year there's some sort of a, a thing that they should have looked at it, you know, looked at the biomechanics of things and been like, there is something that you are not doing here.
1: They let him correctly. pitch through bursitis for two seasons. Yeah, I mean he pitched through the pain, and instead of getting it fixed, now, again you're talking about not doing the Tommy John and rehabbing, and then ended up having to do the Tommy John again. It was the same thing with the bursitis. Two seasons he pitched through pain. They talked about it constantly. Oh, he's you know he's pitching through pain. He's pitching through pain, but he's we're not. It, he, he doesn't need surgery. He does, he's fine. He, you know he's having some issues with the shoulder. He's fine. He's fine, he's fine, he's fine. He goes and he gets the bursa the burst sack removed. And before, you know, re-injuring himself again, the shoulder looked fantastic. Yep, I it just feel like he was not treated in the right way from day one. And, uh, you know, when he finally does get himself healthy and get himself treated, he's the pitcher that was drafted number four overall. I think he was number four, right? Yeah. The year he was picked. Number three or number four?
0: Yeah, I think it was number four. Uh, I think the I think it was the pick
1: before the Cubs. Before or after the Cubs? No, it, was I mean, we were, after. it was three and four or four and five. I don't remember. Yeah, two
0: thousand fourteen or something. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I think that's it.
0: A- yeah, exactly. Exactly. My point is that there should like. There obviously there sh- there were red flags, you know. And the thing is that everybody's blaming the player. Everybody wants to blame Carlos Rodon, call him soft, and say that he's just a he's an injury case. Well, how about the fact that Ethan Katz took Lucas Giolito and fixed him after, as Stephen B. Smith would say, worst pitcher in baseball. And the next year he comes out fantastic after ethan katz gets him we hire we hire ethan katz after finally getting rid of coop and uh, you know coop had his run you know the 2005 season was great however we hire ethan katz he fixes rodan you know what i'm saying
1: i mean it's just uh yeah i mean ceases mechanics have improved yep since he's you know been here uh, you know, and we saw a lot of that in 2020 when, uh, you know, I I, I specifically remember watching Lucas Giolito in between innings sitting down with Cease and kind of telling him about his release point and where he yep. gets wonky. And and Cease's biggest thing was, you know, he likes to throw the high fastball, but he was getting real high with it and they couldn't get it down. Yeah, and uh, you know, but now Lucas can you know tell him what he's telling him. But it wasn't until after Katz got his hand on him that it, the mechanics seemed to get a, a whole ton better.
0: Yeah, definitely a lot more repeatable, you know. And uh, he is—he is, uh, still has that, that nasty ride on his fastball, still has that nasty curveball, but the command definitely seems a lot better. And, uh, I mean, let's yeah, hope I, that I, like uh, Vince Velasquez earlier. can at least become, you know... Top 70% uh, in baseball.
1: A five year A guy instead of an eight year A guy? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, <laughs>
0: yeah. I have, you know, I have no, uh, no confirmation on this, but I did uh, hear from uh, a birdie that Keikel, that uh, Katz tried to work with Keikel on some of his mechanics and he actually refused the help. Home. Last year, so hmm. uh, it's entirely possible that uh, that that is a thing. Now I don't have obviously don't have a hundred percent confirmation on it, but from what I understand is that he was pretty stubborn about what he did and trying to force that to work, kind of a la James Shields, where his skill set was changing. And he still was trying to pitch like he used to pitch. And once Shields made the mechanical change, he at least became a serviceable starter for the White Sox. I mean, he wasn't fantastic, yeah, but than, I mean,
1: than a punching bag.
0: Exactly. At least he was, you know, putting out quality starts here and there. You know, uh, I think he led the led the league in quality starts one year. Uh, I think it was two thousand seventeen, maybe the year after he got here. Cause the year that he got here, he was brutal, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It we'll see, obviously we're going to see where the team goes and we're not going anywhere. You know, we're going to still watch the team. We're still going to root for the team. I just would have preferred a little less anxiety headed into the season. That's, that's yeah, all.
1: Oh no. You know, and that's the thing. Uh, I guess we probably should have put this disclaimer out at the beginning of the show. Neither. And and we've, you and I've had discussions, you know, offline about this. Neither one of us are upset about the team as it stands right now. I'll have to change the uh,
0: stream description and just put a disclaimer in the stream description.
1: Yeah, no, this is definitely a a really good roster on paper. There just were some needs that the whole world, you know, not just us, not just the, the media guys, but everybody in the world, needs and saw these holes, it probably should have been plugged, and it has been less than addressed. And, uh, you know, that's it. But, you know, all those all the folks out there that say, hey, this team, you know, is healthy again, knock on wood, this team's healthy again, and uh, if they can stay healthy, are going to be a juggernaut. And I can't disagree with that. If they do stay healthy and they do the things they're supposed to do, absolutely, absolutely going to be a lot of fun to watch but like you said there is still some slight anxiety about the holes that were not addressed and you know going into the season where you know your general manager comes out and says you know we 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 need to do everything we can to win the world series this is the first time in since the beginning of the rebuild that those words have been uttered by Rick Hahn i want to point that out he has never mentioned he's never used the term world series you know, he's said things in the past where obviously, you know, as far as we can. Yeah, talks to me at the parade. The, obviously the goal is to get to the World Series. No, this year he said we need to do everything we World Series this year. Yeah. It was very it was very pointed, it was very direct. And then, you know, we get Kendall Graveman and Vince Velasquez <laughs> and Josh Harrison.
0: Yeah, that's like
1: Joe Kelly. <laughs> and I'm going, wait a minute, what happened? We need to do
0: that's uh, that's uh, some sort of cruel joke.
1: We need left-handed,
0: <laughs> we need left-handed power bats, and, uh, and we need to take care of second base. And uh, we, we, you know, we definitely we need, to, need a
1: starting pitcher. <laughs> yeah, and then they literally do
0: none of that. What? It's going. It's like they were. It's like they were so, trying yeah. to like fake everybody out. This is what we're going to do. And then they went and grabbed a couple bullpen guys. Yeah,
1: Tony Larusa still our manager.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean that is what it is. I didn't expect that to change. Uh I
1: didn't either, but you know, when you say you're gonna do everything.
0: Yeah, but I mean then again. I b we've been saying on this, you know, like, since since this off season started that I didn't think they were gonna spend any money. You know, any money of any consequence anyway. And, you know, like uh, they signed uh Kendall Graveman as the uh biggest signing this, this off season. And I mean, I you know, like as I've mentioned, I'm not hundred percent sold on, on Conforto anyway. So I you know, if if they go out and sign them, okay, cool. But my thinking on the whole thing is is that that's really the best use of the resources. That you were given, you know, because if they go out and spend $20 million, you know, plus on Conforto, which is what I kind of think that it's going to end up being, is that at least for this season, you're talking like $50 million that's been spent. And you've gotten some bullpen guys and then Josh Harrison and Conforto. So is if you're going to spend $50 million, is that i mean is that going the to be
1: the best use of resources yeah, yeah it's
0: just exactly like one of the things that i've complained about about the white Sox in the past is that i feel like you know if they've got a budget of 50 million dollars they'll sign six guys at 8 million dollars and end up getting two combined war out of these eight guys instead of just getting one guy you know two guys for 25 a piece and getting eight war like i just or or seven war six war you know it's right, just a, right. you know there's more holds but at that point, if you've got those two places taken care of, you can just bring up league minimum guys for filler or sign well, then, like you know, league minimum guys, you know
1: and that's the thing when we were talk when we were really hot on you know the right field subject earlier uh and we were talking about the you know the use of those resources and, and going out and signing a free agent. The one thing I wanted to touch on that I didn't, and we were talking about how you know you've got these young guys that are up and coming in the system. One of those things that I wanted to point out uh, was that if you don't sign a free agent and you stick with the in-house guys, like it, you know, we've been discussing, uh, you're talking about making a trade for a starting pitcher. Say we're Montas or Manea. And no, you know, those are just the two most talked about names at the moment right now. There might be some other guys, out there, man, I don't really know. Um, you have to give something up for these guys. So what has been talked as already being a thin farm system is now getting thinner, and you still didn't address right field other than you're going to use guys to do it. Now, had you gone out and spent $20 million a year on, on Nick Cassiano's, all the cost you was money. That same four or five guys that are potential future right fielders for the White Sox are still there. They're still there. Yep. And when you're going to trade for these pitchers, you're not one man down that you got to put out in the outfield to be able to deal. Do you get what I'm saying? Are you picking up what I'm laying down here? Holla if you, know you, you hear me. You, yeah, I get you've it. You've got you've now you've got to use. One of those four or five guys that you say are potential outfielders, probably going to have to deal one of them to get him a name or a Montas.
0: That's exactly my point: is that if you got the money, don't sign. If if you're really if you got alligator arms that badly about wanting to sign like this big long term contract, you know, as mentioned in the chat, don't sign them to a long deal. You know, find somebody that wants to play for you for, you know, pay them more
1: for the a short term deal. For two exactly. Years instead of, yeah. You know, some
0: guy wants, some guy that would normally make $15 million a, a year for, you know, like five years. Fine. Pay him, 22, him 22 for two and then <laughs> you pay him $44 million, you know, like pay him a little bit more money so you don't have to make the long financial commitment to him, you know? Right. And, yeah, it's it's kind of maddening, <laughs> but you know.
1: yeah, but it is what it is. Anyway, sorry, I didn't want to open that can of worms up again. Ah, totally like, you know, fine. I, That's what we're that here I for. To make and I hadn't, you know, done it earlier.
0: I mean, so. we're we're kind of here to provide content, and we're also here to uh, to make ourselves uh, a little less stressed out. You know, so
1: do you? I mean, do you think like if there was. Like, the White Sox podcast community, most bitchiest podcasts.
0: <laughs> oh no! There's the no name. way. There's no way. New, uh, the Yankees, Yankees podcast. Oh man.
1: No, no. I'm saying white cat white White Sox podcast community only. Oh, are we the are we the bitchiest? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah,
0: possibly. <laughs> yeah, it's entirely possible. <laughs> But you know like the the way I look at it is that y- yes I that it's entirely possible that we are but I think that there is a uh, I mean obviously like I you know I'm not holding back because I've got no reason to hold back um I think that there's there's probably uh I I'd rather talk about it and <clears throat> kind of at least in somewhat of a logical and some sort of a logical thought process here. And I may, I might be off base with some of this stuff. Like I get it, but I, I generally try and think this stuff out, you know, I'm not uh, out here proposing that the white Sox trade for Juan Soto. You know what I'm saying? Like, Oh, I, generally- I want
1: to address this. I'm sorry. It, you know, in the chat, it says you guys are not even close to the worst. I didn't say the worst. Yeah, you're not say anything about the worst.
0: worst. We're we're, we're, one of the, we're, we're one of the
1: better podcasts, in my opinion. I'm not gonna say we're the tops, but I'm just and I'm not gonna say we're the best either. You know what I mean? Like yeah. But the worst? Nah, we're not the worst. We just we like to gripe a little bit, you know, we like to air our grievances. We we're we're uh, we're big fans of uh, Festivus Yeah around here.
0: I'm not a Seinfeld <laughs> guy, but I can get behind that. I do like Um, you know I'm
1: not a big Seinfeld guy either, but the airing airing of grievances I know.
0: I do have grievances, and I do like to air them, and I use this platform (laughs) as a way to do such. Uh, Yeah, so uh, it's hey, it's ten fifty seven. It's almost the uh, allotted two hours, so this is a good place to call it. My name is Ian Eskridge. I have been your host for the evening. Uh, my partner on the other side of this uh, other side of the screen, uh, that is the Danny Miller. Um, you can find us on Twitter, uh, if you have not already.
1: Our sweet Margo
0: Silva. Thanks for the follow. I appreciate it. There's a little, your mean booty shake for you. Um, you can find us at daily white Sox on Twitter. Uh, our website's been screwed up lately uh, which i'm in the process of trying to fix uh, right now you can get to it at uh or no whitesocksdaily.substack.com uh it will be back to its normal uh, whitesocksdaily.com uh shortly um, i had to fix a bunch of other stuff in order to get that uh, to even get that thing back up and working and even on the goofy uh substack uh address but uh that'll be back um uh what else uh yeah there should be some articles coming up here uh somewhat in the near future and um you can go back and yep. look at the archives uh Dan Victor who's one of our uh one of our writers uh also writes for Prospects 1500 um did a bunch of stuff on some of the White Sox minor leaguer guys um Most recent guys being uh, Lane Ramsey and Sean Burke and Gil Luna Jr. Um, Great articles and uh, really cool stuff if you want to uh, get to know who some of the uh, younger minor league guys are. Um, And if you do not follow us on Twitter, uh, certainly should do that. There's lots of uh, highlights uh, for spring training stuff. And as soon as minor (coughs) uh, minor league stuff starts picking up, Uh, Pretty much the only place where you're going to see the White Sox minor league clips is on our Twitter. So um, go ahead and do that. And um, I'd like to thank you for uh, having a listen. This will be in podcast form in any place that you get your podcast normally, Spotify, uh, iTunes. Uh, Last week's is up now after I got the uh, website stuff sorted out. But it will be on all the uh, podcast services tomorrow morning. And, uh, I'd like to thank you for coming in and chatting and, uh, thank you for listening and watching and, uh, have a great night. We appreciate it.